You're with Sean Jung and Where the Veil Grows Thin, an exploration of the sacred moments of our human experience in life and death, joy and sorrow, birth and end of life. It's the unscripted instant when the heart opens, the face-to-face moments with the divine. One of the most listened to episodes of these podcasts was one titled Blessing of the Animals that ran last June. In it, I very casually suggest that animals are the very best therapists when we grieve. But I never really flushed that out, and I want to try to do that today. As much as humans want to believe that our beloved pet animals understand language, and I know they do understand some commands, they sense emotional energy much more than understanding words. Many animals have a keen sense of smell as well, and I believe as humans— It's possible that we give off different odors when we are feeling different emotions. There's energy as well, and I don't know how much of what they intuit is an odor and how much is energetics, but I know firsthand that frustration and anger do not need to be spoken or even acted on for the dogs I have had in my life to huddle around my feet or under my desk if my husband is frustrated or angry about something. He might try to deny it if I seek him out to check in with him, but the dogs don't lie. All they sense is danger. What's equally fascinating to me is that they are not in any danger. He would never hurt any of us. But in those times when the dogs would seek me out, either seeking shelter or offering it, they didn't know that. They simply knew they didn't want to be near him. So because there were no raised or angry voices, no throwing of tantrums, no loud outbursts, I think they smell something that feels dangerous or potentially dangerous. In sorrow and grief, they also sense whether through smell or just their inherent intuition for our well-being, that we need comfort and protection. We need them close by. I used to think dogs were the best at this. However, since I have been introduced to the unimaginable depth of a horse's ability to empathically know when we have deep grief, I now say that if horses were smaller and could ride in our cars and sleep at the foot of our beds, they would be our chosen pets. If you live with a pet in your home, or if you have a farm with horses, goats, sheep, or cows, you will know what I'm talking about. Nothing stirs heart-centered emotions in crusty old ranchers faster than asking them about favorite dogs they've had over the years or a really good horse they partnered with for a long time. My grandfather, Ott, was in the Calvary in the early 1900s. Stationed in Kansas and then Texas, he sat proudly on a 17-hand steed named Diamond Jim. Jet black and always brushed to a sheen, he had a perfectly shaped 
white diamond on the bridge of his nose. I doubt Ott was ever consciously aware of the emotional support Jim gave him, but his feelings for that horse went beyond anything he felt for any human. And I'm convinced it was because he connected to my grandfather in an unspoken love that said all the things no human could. If I had had the chance to speak to Ott before he just rudely woke up dead one day, I would have asked him about Jim. I would have asked about hunting dogs he had growing up in the Virginia mountains, and if any of them were ever allowed onto his bed at night. And I believe if he had been taken back to that time and place just before he died, the possibility of seeing those special animal friends again would have given him great peace. He was a pretty awesome guy, Ott. I doubt there was much fear if he was aware that he was not going to wake up, except for knowing that my grandmother, who was still alive, his bride of over 60 years, would feel some sadness and that she would certainly suffer in his leaving. I so clearly remember the last time I saw him. Shelby was a baby, maybe three months old. She and I traveled to Virginia from Orlando, where she was born so my extended family could meet her before we moved to Colorado. I had been there when I was pregnant with her, and I have pictures from that visit that still warm my heart. Ott was old, so was Pinky, our grandmother. Their 11 grandchildren just always had called her Danny, but the rest of the world knew her as Pinky. Pinky Caldwell as a child, and Pinky Geeson once she married Ott. She was the final of eight children after seven boys, hence the pink, and she was a force to be reckoned with. I loved them both fiercely, but Ott was my guy. He was the calm in the storm, the ballast for this family, the gentle captain of his ship. All my life, until I left home, our summers were spent with them. And at that point, when I left home, I actually moved back to Virginia and went to college in the town where I'd been born. Every summer growing up, Mom would load us all in whatever car we owned and head out from Newport Beach, California, winding her way across the country until finally landing in the Blue Ridge Mountains. That last visit with Ott as an adult woman and a new mother, will always stay with me. We had had a good time visiting with relatives, seeing my mom, who had moved in with them to help care for them both. The morning we were leaving, I woke early in an attempt to slip out before anyone else was up. We had an early flight out of an airport an hour away, and we had said tearful goodbyes already to everyone the night before. My grandfather was a shuffler. He shuffled. When he was walking through his big rambling house with slate floors, his shuffle was distinct when he was wearing his slippers. I heard him coming, and I knew he needed this moment. What I was unaware of at the time was that I, too, needed it.
I needed the memory of it to help me through tough times that lay ahead just down the road. We were ready to go, and he walked me out to the car. Shelby was asleep in her carrier, and he took both my hands in his. His hands were large and gnarly with age and hard work, and they were always cold. He took my hands in his, and when I looked up at his face, his eyes filled with tears, and I literally felt my heart crack. We didn't speak, but we said all there was to say in that moment. I cried driving away because I knew I would not see him again. When I flew back later that year for his funeral, I wept when the small plane first came through the clouds over the soft ridges of those blue mountains. That sight has always touched a chord deep inside me. It is my homeland, and it is where my ancestors are buried, and it's where I was born. All of those things, I believe, are very integral to our sense of belonging. And what I also remember about that time was returning to Colorado, where my companion dog, Feather, waited. Shelby was too young to understand anything that was happening, but Feather was all over it. She and I had spent years together before anyone else came into our lives, and she was what got me through losing Ott. Shelby helped. I had the luxury of being a stay-at-home mom, and I poured myself and my love into creating as happy a home as possible for all of us. Feather is buried near the creek on the property where we lived at the time. She was about 12 when I finally pulled my head out of my butt and realized she needed me to help her get out of here. Shelby's dad had dug the grave where I asked him to, but I also asked that I be allowed to go alone to the appointment with the vet. It was the third appointment I had made. The first two were both canceled because I just couldn't do it. I truly had no idea how I would survive it. I carried Feather into the vet's, and I carried her back out, wrapped in the blanket she slept on. When I drove up the road to the property, I could see Shelby and her dad waiting near where her grave would be. I carried her to that spot, and I saw that Shelby had brought Feather's food dish and several of her toys and had placed them in the grave. Shelby was just shy of three. She knew this was a big deal, and she handled it with so much love, so much wisdom, almost as though she knew everything, and almost as though she knew everything was all right. I think very young children handle death much more matter-of-factly than we do as adults, almost as though they haven't been on this side of things long enough to get afraid. They simply trust that all is well. When we lose a beloved pet, we lose something that is indescribable to anyone who does not know, and something we don't need to describe to anyone who does. I have often made the analogy that a dog's love is as close to unconditional as we ever come. 
much more so than any human we love. It transcends the whole concept of love to a new level. In grief work, we say that the depth of pain and loss will be equal to the depth of love for whatever has been lost. Well, if it's true what I'm saying, and I believe it to be or I wouldn't be saying it, then the depth of the pain and pet loss can be enormous, and it deserves to be honored. Not hidden because we think no one will understand. Not dismissed because it was just a cat. Honoring our grief means feeling our sadness, expressing our sadness, and creating ceremony. I set out today to talk about how our animals are the best therapists when we grieve. But what do we do when the grief is coming from the loss of the thing that used to get you through grief? Well, the answer to that depends on many things and can't be answered as a universal truth. I encourage anyone who has experienced the loss of a beloved pet to recognize that what they have lost has many layers and will show up in different ways in your life. Reach out. Find someone to talk to. Call your vet and ask if there are any pet bereavement services available in your area. If there are not, ask them if they would sponsor someone starting one. Call any friend you know who has gone through something similar. Find a companion in your grief because you have lost your old grief companion. You don't need to do it necessarily by adopting again right away, but perhaps volunteering at a local shelter, asking if you can come sit in their cat room and just let cats climb on your lap, or seek out the services of an equine therapist. Maybe you're afraid of horses. That's even more of a reason to explore the healing therapeutic properties of being in their presence. And you can do this with a qualified equine therapist. But find help. It is not a loss you need to struggle through all on your own because you think people will scoff at you. It is grief, pure and simple. If you can find a way to honor it, you will move through it. And eventually, you will open your heart to another animal in need of your love. This is Sean Jung. Thank you, and I hope you'll join me again where the veil grows thin. <laughs>